Well, this is the, uh, the first Sunday of the month, so just to remind you, uh, the kids stay in the service. And, um, and ushers, if you're wondering what's going on with communion, just be ready. At the end of the service, ushers, will, we'll, we will be having communion. So I'm switching things up a little bit today. I like to mess with the order at times, so um, I'm wanting to get right into the message today. So uh, a couple things uh, real quick. Terry Byers, you're back there. God bless you. you nobody really knows Terry, I don't think, but uh, uh, I used to, uh, she's a part of the Finley United Methodist Church, and my sister Kim and brother-in-law Ty are here. They all go to this. Did you all coordinate this? Were you, are you skipping out? Ah, okay. So they both came up here to worship with us today, and I'm going to talk with Pastor Jerry. He needs to know that you're skipping out on them today. No, but it's great to see you. And uh, God bless you. Nice to have you with us uh, this morning. Yeah, as Louise said, we welcome the mission team back, and I briefly spoke with Lisa. There's already stories to tell, so um, we're going to work on a Sunday here coming up soon to where uh, they'll have a chance to share their experiences as well. Uh, and, and speaking of July and summer, I'll covet your prayers. This is going to be a crazy month. I have a uh, Wesleyan camp meeting that I'll be doing the music for, I leave next Friday, and I'll be gone for eight or nine days. I'll be back here for a week, and then I go to the camp that we grew up in, Terry and, and, and my sister, and uh, Hollow Rock down on eastern uh, Ohio by the river. I'll be down there for eight or nine days. So I covet your prayers in the coming days. And lastly, before I get into my message, uh, Luis talked about our Living Waters ministry. We do have a job for this Wednesday, okay? It's, uh, if you have a weed whip, then bring it with you. So uh, as soon as the service is over, um, I'll stay down front. And if anyone is able to volunteer this Wednesday, and if you have a weed whip, we're going we're to weed whip a bank, okay? The, the, the grass is about, about up to here, I think, roughly, okay? So um, see me after the service. And again, this is a ministry that is mainly geared for those who maybe not know the Lord or the unchurched. And uh, we have plenty of opportunity to minister those within the church, but I want us to get outside the walls. And so that's what this ministry is about. Again, if you're wanting to volunteer with this, see me afterwards. If you have a job, again, let us know or let myself or Lloyd know. Okay, that's enough commercials for this morning. All right. We didn't test this rhyme, but let's, let's, let's hope this works. There you go. Oh, there it is. Okay. Talking about kingdom living, here we go again. Kingdom living. If you've been with us for, uh, uh, um, at all over these last several weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And some 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood on a mountainside and he gave us the attitudes that we should have, called the Beatitudes. And we've been diving into these Beatitudes one by one to where Jesus, again, is telling us, if you want to be in my kingdom, if you want to be one of my subjects, if you want to be one of my citizens, if you want to be one of my children, I'm about ready to tell you how you should be acting. They were expecting an all-you-can-eat buffet. They were expecting free food. They were expecting more miracles, more wonders. But that day, they got some words that were rather challenging. And so we've been on that journey, and so let's continue on that. It's kind of interesting, Kim and Ty are here today. Last week, Mom and Dad, they were with us and spent the weekend with us, and it was good spending time with them. Um, Some of you may be like this, but um, we uh, we ate at uh, at home 
when mom and dad uh, were with us one night, we grilled out, and we were having you know something to drink with water, and, and dad was wanting to know what we had. We don't really drink a lot of pop anymore. We just do water, and that's about it. And so I said, Dad, why don't you just go in the fridge and get yourself a bottled water? And um, he said, okay. Well, I noticed as we were eating, um, he had a glass of water. And I said, Dad, um, Kim, you may know what I'm talking about with this, but he had a glass of water. And I said, well, Dad, why don't you, I, you got, could have gotten a bottled water. And Dad said, I refuse to pay for something that I should get for free. So you know what I'm talking about? So how many of you say amen to that? Yeah, the old, yeah, the old school there, yeah. He said, I can't stand, he said, it makes no sense, you know, to, to buy bottled water when I can go over to the faucet and get it for free. It's amazing that we do uh, buy water today, isn't it? Uh, we'll be buying the air that we breathe before long. Um, I think... Um, Jenna was at Jess's last week, and they went through, I think, Taco Bell, um, and they wanted water, and they were out of water, so they just asked for a cup of ice. Do you know that they charged them 11 cents for a cup of ice? Is that not ridiculous? That's what this world is coming to. Hmm. And if you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense in a way. I mean, why, speaking of bottled water, why would we in America... When we have some of the cleanest resources of drinking water of anyone in the world, why would we buy water and put it in a bottle? <laughs> Americans spend more than $11 billion on bottled water. $11 billion on bottled water. And 50, we go through more than 50 billion bottles of water. Why? Why do we do that? I believe the answer lies in a little word that we call purity. Purity. For the most part, we all want our water, especially our drinking water, to be 100% pure. Marketing companies spend millions and millions of dollars trying to market their bottle of water to be the cleanest, the freshest, the purest that's why they have words on their bottles such as mountain spring or natural spring water or clear sparkling water. Uh, we, we think that if we put some fancy word on uh, the side of a bottle of water, it'll sell. Like you call it, is it Evian? Is that what it's called? Evian water? Uh, there's Dasani water. There's Aquafina water. There's the fancier it is, surely it's got to be better, right? <laughs> this leads me into our next beatitude. And you're thinking, where is he going with this? This leads me into our next beatitude today. When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Reminded of the song we sang this morning, I did not realize that this was going to go with the message, but uh, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, for I want to see you. I want to break this message down this morning into two parts. Here Jesus is talking about having a pure heart. Now, when we think of having a pure heart, one of the things that we can think about perhaps is a newborn baby. 
Think about the kind of heart that a newborn baby might have as soon as they come into the world. I mean, if there ever was a time when we as humans most resemble perhaps the pure state that Adam and Eve may have had, it would be right when we come into this world, right, if you think about it. The world has not yet polluted, corrupted the mind of a newborn. But it doesn't take long before that innocence is lost, does it? Purity and goodness and Virtue are lost when one abuses children or adults sexually or verbally, mentally or physically. When someone walks into an airport and yells, Allahu Akbar, and they set off an explosive. Purity is destroyed as pimps all over our country force young girls into a life of sex trafficking today. And in the midst of this messed up world, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Almost seems impossible, doesn't it? But purity is not just lost on those with depraved minds. It's lost on those who believe that they're living a good life. This story is seen clearly We all know this story. We've read it many times. It's seen clearly in the story of Jesus when Nicodemus came to see Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and if there was anyone living at the time in that society who was pure and blameless and holy, folks, it would have been a Pharisee. would have been a Pharisee. Let me talk to you a little bit about Pharisees. Pharisees were considered aristocracy. Of Jerusalem. Pharisees, in many ways, were the best people in the whole country. Pharisees, when they entered into that life, oftentimes as a child, they had to take a pledge before three people, and the pledge was that they would spend and dedicate the rest of their lives observing every detail of the law. Doesn't sound too bad. But what exactly did that mean? You see, to the Jews, the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, was the most sacred, the most perfect thing in the entire world. To add or take away just one word was a deadly sin. In their minds, because the law was perfect, it contained everything that anyone needed in order to live right before God. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? I mean, we kind of line ourselves up with that way of thinking. However, the religious elite over the years and over the centuries, the religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they began to take it to a level that God never intended. They began to create regulations to govern every conceivable scenario in life. This this resulted in an infinite number of rules and regulations. In other words, they expanded the law to be hundreds, if not thousands, of bylaws and regulations. What do I mean? Let's take one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Thought of mainly to be a time of rest on the Lord's day. No one was to work. 
No work was to be done by man or by man's servants or by the animals that that man would own. But the religious leaders were not content with this. So they spent years defining what the word work means. Listing things that people were and were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. For example, tying a knot on the Sabbath was against the law. Is that amazing? Some of you who had to tie your shoes today, you would have been in jeopardy. You would have been against the law. But then the kind of knot had to be defined. If it was a knot that uh, um, a camel driver, we don't have too many of those today, do we? If it was a knot that a camel driver had uh, to use or a sailor, that was sinful and against the law. But if you were able to just use one hand to tie or untie a knot, you were within the law. Crazy, isn't it? the regulations that they put in place. You were not allowed to walk more than 1,000 yards on the Sabbath day. They defined every scenario. And you see, the scribes and the, um, the scribes would, would uh, work out the regulations, but the Pharisees, they had to live it out. And that was their life. These were the kinds of things which the Pharisees saw as a matter of life. And death. Aren't you glad we don't live in that kind of society today? I could get off on a little tangent here, and uh, there's probably some of you, some of us, that grew up in the holiness movement that that kind of sounds a little bit like, doesn't it? You know, you're not allowed to wear makeup, you're not allowed to wear jewelry, you're not allowed to wear shorts or pants. Remember, some of you remember those days. Uh, sounds a little bit like that. But if there was anyone in the society that day who was considered pure and blameless, you could see why it was the Pharisees. But how did Jesus feel that day that Nicodemus came to see Jesus? And you remember, it'll tell us here, he saw Jesus at night. Probably because he was embarrassed. He didn't want anyone to know that he was seeing Jesus. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 The account goes like this. You're familiar with it. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Isn't it interesting that Jesus, what he tells him had nothing to do with what Nicodemus just said. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. See, Jesus looked at this man of high prestige. This man who had dedicated his entire life to keeping every minute detail of the law. His works were perfect. 
Everything about him was perfect. As he walked through the streets and his robe passed by the people, they would just be in awe over Nicodemus and who he was, although a lot of them despised the Pharisees too. And this person who was standing before Jesus, who was an elder of Jesus, Jesus basically said, you are falling woefully short in your life. Talk about a blow to the ego, right? (laughs) Nicodemus was still a man, folks, in desperate need of a Savior. His heart was just as wicked, just as filthy, just as corrupt as the common man that he passed every day. It was just as sinful as the Samaritans that they could not stand. It was just as dirty as a Gentile. But you see, it doesn't matter how good or morally upright one thinks they are. You can be the best husband, you can be the best wife, you can be the best father, you can be the best mother, you can be the best worker, the best neighbor, the best citizen who's ever lived and still have a dirty, filthy, corrupt heart. You know that. So what Jesus was offering Nicodemus that day was a chance for his heart to once and for all be pure, to be clean, to be forgiven. No more stressing over dotting every I, no more anxiety over crossing every T in his life. He could be free. And I believe that Nicodemus, and if we see, Nicodemus actually had a change of heart towards uh, the end of his life, or at that time moving forward, we could see he was a changed man. Nicodemus was there in search of something. No more public pretenses. And here Jesus gave him, and he's giving anyone who will listen, folks, the blueprint to having a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is the first half of this message. And Jesus said something in verse number 5. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. What exactly does that mean? Water is symbolic of a cleansing and a washing away. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, I'll wash away all of your sin. I'll wash away all of your guilt. I'll wash away all of your imperfections and I'll make your heart pure, praise the Lord, and I'll make it white as snow. What an offer, folks. He's offering the same thing to you and I today. Amen. Anyone who will come to him with the heart that Nicodemus came, he's offering you a pure heart. In this corrupt and wicked land. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some sin. Ah, no. Cleanses us from all sin, praise the Lord. It's kind of like that uh, company you see them on TV, Serve Pro. You know that, that company, that advertisement? If you have a flood or if you have a fire, they come and they make it just like it never happened. You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's the beauty of what Jesus does for us this morning. He takes our sin, he takes our soiled heart, our impure spirit, and he makes it just like it never happened, praise the Lord. Amen. 
May those of us who have had Jesus touch us with a pure heart, may we never forget that. May we never forget it. You see, I talked earlier about perhaps one is most like Adam and Eve the minute that they are born. But that's not altogether true, folks. We know that the Bible says in Psalm 51, David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Impurity and corruption, if you want to break this down, let's think about it. Impurity and corruption, folks, sets in the minute one is conceived. We don't like to think about babies like that, but that... Carnal nature, that sinful nature happens the moment life begins. The truth is, is that when Jesus saves us, when he washes us white as snow, when he washes away our sin, that is the moment right then and there that our hearts are most like Adam and Eve. Think about that. It's pure. There is nothing filthy in our hearts. What a beautiful moment that is. We talk about how glorious it will be to to live in a state that Adam and Eve lived in. I believe in heaven someday will just be that ultimate perfect state. We understand that. But man, Adam and Eve, they were born, there was no sin in their heart. Everything was perfect. And at that moment when Christ comes into our life, there is perfection in our life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from... There's that word all again. From all sin. That is when we are pure and clean and whole. And praise the Lord, He's offering the same today. Right here. Right now. Maybe there's someone here that you can, you'd have to say, I don't have that kind of a heart. I've not accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ. I've not accepted his salvation. I know there is something dirty within me. I know that's just not right. I can't, just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus, man, he lived a life of perfection, so to speak. But what drove him to Jesus? I believe when he heard and he saw Jesus speak in the marketplaces, when he heard and saw Jesus around the temple, there was something different about that man. And he was drawn to him. And the question that he even asked, Jesus had nothing to do with it. And Jesus pierced and peered right into the heart of Nicodemus. He said, look, I know what you're really here for. You're here because your soul's sick. The only way that you can be a part of the kingdom of God is if you were born again. Maybe there's someone here like that today. You know there's something wrong with your heart. Jesus said, I will wash away all of your sins. Praise the Lord. This is the first part of what I wanted to talk to you about today. This is how one gets a pure heart, church. This is the glorious part of this message. But the second half of my message can be a little bit more demanding. I told uh, Jenna, on the, we were told the family on the way to church, I said, this, this message has the, the potential to be, and I went, eh. And Jenna said, you mean stepping on toes? I said, eh. <laughs> the Spirit. Now, I also believe that when Jesus said, uh, 
unless one is born of the water and the spirit. I believe the spirit, he was also indicating it's got to be a birth of the heart. It's got to be a birth of the soul of the spirit. We get that. However, I believe, folks, there's also another message here. Blessed are the pure. Spirit also refers to the power. The power of the Holy Spirit. And in this lies the key to my second point. You see, when Jesus takes possession of our lives, and and I was thinking to myself, this is not such an extraordinarily spiritually epiphany of an idea, of a message today. But then I thought, if we apply it, it will be dramatic. If we apply it, it will be a spiritual epiphany for all of us. See, that's the question, isn't it? Will Brock apply the word? Will you apply the word? It doesn't have to be complicated if we will apply what we're talking about. Remember, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's continue on. When Jesus takes possession of our lives, it's not only that our sins are forgiven and are washed away. If you think about it, if that's all that happened, that all, if that's all that happens, we would just get right back into the same mess that we came from, right? If that's all that he did was just saved us where we were at and then left us on our own, we would go right back to the same kind of life, right back to the messes that we used to be in. And I say every week on this message, and I say it again, I'm reminding you, and Jesus is reminding us, he's telling us if you want to be one of his children, this is how you need to be acting. This is how his citizens, this is what should characterize his citizens. Jesus is telling everyone on the mountain that day what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and there he gives us the power, here we go, to continue living in purity and holiness. I didn't think I'd get a ton of amens on that point. But it's true, church. It's true. To remain clean in this dark and corrupt world. That is something that you and I could never do in and of ourselves. You see, I believe the main work of the Holy Spirit begins after salvation comes. The Holy Spirit is instrumental in drawing us and wooing us and convicting us to the Lord and convicting us to salvation. But once we accept Christ into our lives, then the real work of the Holy Spirit begins to give us the power that we need. This is where the biblical concept of that word comes in. Now, that is sanctification. That is one of those churchy words. That is one of those words that we sometimes hesitate to use only because it's like, well, what does that mean? It's one of those things that are hard to explain. Consecration is another word that's kind of hard to explain. You know what that means? The Bible says in Thessalonians, and this is the will of God, your sanctification. So we know that this work is a part of what God has for you. You know what sanctification is, really? Just dying to self and living to God. That's it. Plain and simple. Sanctify, a sanctification, sanctifying work is allowing God to have all of who you are today and tomorrow 
and Tuesday. I told this story one other time. I wasn't going to share it, but I just I feel impressed to share it. Just bear with me, bear with me if you've heard it, but I think it makes the point. An illustration of sanctification. My mom um, went to Asbury College back in 1960. Back in 1960. Um, at that time, uh, she was raised in a Christian home. Uh, Grandma and Pap Pap were Christians at the time. But Mom was, was dating a guy named Rich. And Rich was, you know, kind of had one foot in the world, one foot in the church, just was one of those things. And, and Mom was running from the Lord. Mom had yet to really just die out to the Lord and just accept him. But she went off to college. And Mom said during that freshman year of college, she said the Holy Spirit so convicted her. And, and she knew what she needed to be doing. She knew the life that she needed to be living. And she said one morning, I believe she was on her way to breakfast. And whenever we ministered uh, down in Kentucky several years ago, we, uh, uh, Asbury is in Wilmore, Kentucky, down where I used to, uh, you know, in ministry, and one time we went down there for a visit, and um, Mom showed us the sidewalk where she was walking to uh, breakfast, and she showed us about the spot where she she turned around, so heavy under conviction, turned around and walked back to this little chapel. It's about the size of one of our bathrooms. It was just one of those old cottages, I believe. The college, the Asbury, was, was founded, and it was one of the original buildings. And Mom took us up to the attic, and there was a little altar that was still there, and Mom said it was here that I knelt and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And it was a great moment, because those of us that were there, we, we had a moment of weeping, because we realized that our lives were forever changed because of that spot in the side where, where mom and dad, where mom turned around. And she said that's when the Lord began to just change things. And so that's when the water came. That's whenever the water washed her sins away and she became a believer in Jesus Christ. But there was still that issue of rich. Mom knew that God was dealing with her about rich. And I don't know if I have every detail here right. I think Mom may have gone home or maybe doing Christmas break or whatever it was. But bottom line is the Holy Spirit. Rich, rich did not share the same enthusiasm that Mom had with her faith. They weren't on the same page there. And, and, and the Holy Spirit basically told Mom, it's either rich or it's me. And mom knew what she had to do. And one day, I think mom was home. It may have been during summer break. I don't know. She called up Rich and she ended it. She knew that it's what God wanted her to do. And and mom said, Brock, I believe that was my first sanctifying moment right there. See, sanctification is not a one-time experience. It's, it's not that you come to Jesus Christ and, and then the next week you come and say, okay, I'm going to get sanctified today and then I'm good for the rest of my life. Sanctified. Paul said, let us continue on into purity. Let us continue on into holiness. It's not a one-day thing, folks. 
And mom said, Brock, I believe that I had my first sanctifying moment because the Holy Spirit said it's either me or it's rich. See, that's how mom, that's how we can stay pure in heart. You want to talk about heart holiness, purity of heart? That's what happens. It's every day that we make a decision for Jesus Christ. I don't know that I'm going to get a bunch of amens with this, but this is practical living, church. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. And at that moment, uh, mom could have gone the way of rich and her heart would have been out of balance with the Lord. It would have, there would have been impurity creeping back in. And, and mom said, Brock, she said, that was just one experience. She said, my entire life has been a series of sanctifying moments, one after another after another. Hmm. What a beautiful thing that is. Listen, in order for us to stay pure, we must give all of who we are. We must give God our past. We must give God our present, give God our future. But how do we stay pure? I have some ground to cover here. Uh, Bear with me here. How do we stay pure? What does this mean, Pastor Brock, practically speaking? I believe, folks, it all starts right here. It all starts with the mind. For that which enters the mind, those things that you and I dwell on will eventually determine what we do. Somebody say amen to that. Let me ask you, what kind of things do you think about? What kind of things do you dwell on? If someone were able to put up on the screen every single thought that you had this past week, would you cringe? (laughs) We probably all would cringe, right? Yeah. It all starts with the mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... Mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Second Peter tells us this, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. And then he said, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. You see, when God has our minds, then he has our hearts. Psalm 24, 3 and 4, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. You see, when God has now our minds, and now He has our hearts, when He has that, He'll now have control over our eyes. He'll he'll control the things that we gaze upon. He'll now control our ears and the things that we listen to. And listen to me, when God has all of that, He'll even have control of this right here. Say out your amen to that. He'll have control of what comes out of our mouths. Is it pure or is it filthy? He'll control our language, what comes out of our mouth. And He'll also, now hear me on this, He'll also control how it comes out of our mouth. He'll control the kind of jokes that we tell. He'll control the kind of jokes that we listen to at work. Hmm. Look at Zephaniah 3.9 says this, For then I will restore to the people a pure 
language. That they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him with one accord. One accord. God will even cause our feet and our hands to be pure. Job 22.30 He will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, He will be delivered by the purity of your hands. God will control what kind of friends you have, what kind of influences you have. The Greek word for purity is often associated with another Greek adjective called akaratos. Akaratos. It's a word at the time that is used to describe milk or wine that's not been polluted or watered down with water. <laughs> or there's not been some kind of a metal element. You know how you approach a fountain sometime and you drink that fountain it has got that heavy metal taste to it? You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's what it's talking about, it not being. The basic meaning of purity is that which is unmixed or unadulterated or unalloyed by any sinful things of this world. This beatitude could really be translated like this. Blessed are those whose motives are always entirely unmixed. For they shall see God. This is so demanding, church. Because seldom, if you think about it, seldom do human beings do things with no selfish motives whatsoever. Seldom do humans do things from an absolutely pure and unmixed motive. Let me read from William Barclay's commentary. This beatitude demands from us the most exacting self-examination. It is our work done from motives, excuse me, is our work done from Motives of service or motives of pay? Is our service given from selfless motives or from motives of self-display? Is the work we do in the church done for Christ or for our own prestige? Is our church going an attempt to meet God or a fulfilling of a habitual and conventional respectability? Are even our prayer and our Bible readings engaged upon with the sincere desire to keep company with God or because it gives us a pleasant feeling of superiority when we do them? Is our religion a thing in which we are conscious of nothing so much as the need of God within our hearts or a thing in which we have comfortable thoughts of our own piety? To examine one's own motives is a daunting and a shaming thing, for there are few things in this world that even the best of us do with completely unmixed motives. Listen, I'm not talking just to you. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to preachers. (laughs) John Bunyan, the famous 15th century preacher and author, most well known for his book Pilgrim's Progress, once was told by someone that he had preached a good message on a particular day to which he said this, the devil already told me that as I was coming down the pulpit steps. Isn't that neat? I've got to be careful too. There are times whenever I can sense the anointing of God and I'm, I'm just kind of in the pocket, you know, 
Dean, you know I'm talking about. Those of you who have preached the word, you know what it's like to be in the pocket spiritually. And then there are times when I just feel like I've just failed measurably. 